brand new Jiggy Jaguar app available in the App Store. JiggyJaguar.us. You can stream the show live. 24-7 replay, exclusive news, and programming information, all available on our fantastic, fantastic app. And we have got a great guest. We're going to get to him here in just a few moments. Also, we have our uh, regulars as well. And uh, we are going to go back to He's Skype. getting the guest right now. There and, I am. Uh, and there we are. We've got uh, Don Mazella, the uh, best-selling author and also... Uh, Snappy dresser, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, we've got Dan Perkins as well. And I believe IQ Al Rizzoli is joining us as well. And uh, we have our guest today, James Song. He is an amazing, amazing individual. He is the founder and CEO of, and I'm going to get this wrong. I know I'm going to get this wrong, James, and I apologize. Exul Coin? Is that how you pronounce it? Exul Coin. Exul Coin. <laughs> okay. And um, we're talking blockchain technology. We're going to be talking about all sorts of cryptocurrencies, everything today. And um, first of all, James, tell tell me and our panelists here a little bit about how you developed uh, your your I guess cryptocurrency here, for the lack of a better term. Uh, well, uh, I've been working in Myanmar for the last five years. And uh, one of the biggest problems that Myanmar has is uh, it, it has a refugee crisis out, out in the west by the Bangladesh border. And uh, I went and did a lot of work there. We delivered a lot of education content. Uh, some of the refugees lived there maybe 20 years without uh, ever having uh, gone to school. And uh, that was mostly artificial intelligence driven. And uh, we, needed, uh, we needed a better solution where you could track... Uh, what you've achieved uh, with a reputation system and just blockchain was very interesting and a good solution for that. So we started developing on the blockchain. Now, um, Dan, we've we've talked sure. a little bit about Bitcoin and, and some of the different cryptocurrencies on this program. I'm sure you've got some, uh, some questions here for James. Well, uh, maybe an opinion or two also be thrown in just for the heck of it. Um, <laughs> Now, Don, but um, b- b- before I do this, Don, this is a first time because Dan never shares his opinions on this show. I know. I'm looking for the, the second coming. <laughs> well, um, I have been in the money management business for 44 years. Um, I have seen gold go to $1,900 and saw it go from 1900 to 1000 and saw a lot of people who bought it between 1000 and 1900 who never got out and lost a fortune. When I see the kind of volatility and the huge price swings in the Bitcoin, for example, it shows me that it's not a very stable market, and it's very thinly traded. Um, that may mean may not mean much for people but when i say thinly traded if you have just a few people that are trading a security one person can can move the market dramatically one way or the other based on their own activity when the futures came out for trading bitcoin on sunday uh in the first trading session i think there were 150 contracts which is virtually nothing, but moved the price of the Bitcoin dramatically. 
So I'm very concerned, as a number of people on Wall Street are, that the Bitcoin could turn out to be, and this is really going back in time, uh, to the tulip bulb craze, where tulip bulbs were were treated as currency and and exploded in price, and then when some when somebody f began to realize that this was a ridiculous price to pay for a tulip bulb, the market collapsed and people lost huge fortunes. I'm very concerned that the lack of liquidity and the smallness of the market, which is driving prices up, is going to penalize a lot of people who think, well, I really got to get in because it's going to go to a million or a trillion dollars, and I need to be in on the ground floor. What, is, what does our guest think about that? Uh, well, well, you're not wrong. I, I think it's uh, highly volatile. I think it's completely unsafe. However, if you think about the mathematics underlying Bitcoin, uh, it makes as much sense for Bitcoin to be valued at a million dollars as it does to be valued at $17,000 as it is today. So it's hard to say what the right valuation for Bitcoin is since there's no underlying asset. Um, across time, uh, depending on utility, we, we don't know. We think there will be a crash at some point. I think everyone trading cryptocurrency, literally everyone, 100% of people, know that a crash is coming, but they're going to keep trading until it happens. And it's, it's something they know will happen, but they're doing it anyway just because the returns are amazing. If Bitcoin price isn't moving, uh, Litecoin price is moving, and between yesterday and today, it, it was up over 100%, and getting returns like that is, you know, like, it's so attractive to so many people, and it's also very dangerous to many people. People don't understand. It's like, uh, it's like being a skydiver sky who's 98% right. It's just you don't know when your luck is going to run out. But what you're, what you're talking about is a description of, of a, a historical example of and why I use the tulip bulb craze is that people believe there was no real value in the tulip bulbs that, that they were going for, but they just, they just skyrocketed and everybody had to play. And you're right, there is nothing backing the, the Bitcoin other than the trading. And, and, and my concern is that what we're dealing with, which nobody seems to be talking about at the moment, but hopefully they will start talking about it, is an element called greed. And those people who buy it at 21,000, uh, if they're believers, and I mean, I mean that in the religious sense, they're believers in Bitcoin, uh, they'll still own it when it's at 10,000 or 7,000 or 3,000 because they think it's going to go to a million. And, and I, I think that there is a lot of the, the risk, the volatility. There's no logic in what's happening and no rationale. Uh, and, and there are examples of corruption and manipulation in that market. Yet uh, it, is, uh, it is the power of greed. I mean, remember, I don't know how old you are, but maybe if you weren't alive, you could have historically read about the dot-com bubble at the turn of the previous century when people were paying astronomical prices for companies that had no earnings, had no prospects of earnings, but they were fascinated with technology and figured that these companies were just going to go on forever. And people lost enormous fortunes trying to play the, the dot-com market. And I'm, I'm concerned that Bitcoin is even more volatile and more dangerous. I, I, uh, to respond to you, I think that's, that's just 
people. That's what humans do. And uh, in res- in particular with the dot-com boom, you have to understand Google arose out of that. Uh, many of the larger technology companies we deal with today uh, came out of that. Web 2.0 arose out of that. And from Web 2.0, we got Facebook. Uh, Facebook's a $100 billion company. You know, uh, we've never seen valuations for companies like that before. So out of this particular cryptocurrency boom, we'll see a lot of uh, blockchain-based companies arise out of that, uh, building all kinds of new products, new banking, financial products, uh, insurance products, based on uh, blockchain technology. So there's good and there's bad. I don't know if you could discount it totally. There are always going to be speculators. That's what people do. Uh, Are prices unreasonable? Probably, but they were unreasonable at... Bitcoin was unreasonable at 5000 you know, and uh, now it's, you know, approaching 20000 It's still unreasonable. However, what I think is different now, uh, not to say it's different this time, what I think is different now in a 2017 world is we're all, everyone is talking about bubbles, meaning uh, uh, stock market prices are inflated, you know, we're not, we're, it's a bit frothy, we don't know if we want to invest it. Uh, real estate process, uh, prices are a little bit high. We don't know if we want to invest in that asset class. So asset classes across the board are kind of expensive. And uh, you know, for a lack of another asset class to put your money into, if you're thirsty for yield, cryptocurrency fits the bill. That's, that's probably why we're seeing so much volatility today. But that being said, I believe people are pushing off the, the psychological effects of popping a bubble by talking about bubbles so often, meaning we become inured to the effect of thinking about price collapses. So this could go on for a while. I think I don't disagree with you. Uh, I, I don't know what the top is in in uh, in Bitcoin, um, and, and I think that that one of the things that may be doing this was the fact that we had uh, American investors uh, during the term of the Obama administration basically saw a zero return on cash and um, and the market did okay but when when the politics changed and 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 Trump was elected there were I mean the markets it hasn't gone up as much as bitcoins but on a historical basis it's gone up dramatically since he was president and there's been no no correction to allow people who didn't get in to get in that's just the market does it punishes you if you don't make the decision but the bitcoin is just way out of line with alternative assets even under a, a more robust growing economy and uh you know, it's it's. It, I agree with you that there are a lot of people talking about it, and it keeps going higher. But then you have a factor that takes over, and that is, gee, I didn't get in at twenty thousand. And just think about that. I didn't get in at twenty thousand. I suppose I need to get in here at forty. Um, the thing that's different is that you're talking about an entry position of $40,000 or $50,000 potentially, $20,000. That's a lot of money for the vast majority of, of the people in this country. And I'm very concerned that there are people wagering a significant portion of whatever retirement assets they have left in this because, as you said, 
they have an oppor- opportunity to make a lot of money, but they don't really think about they have an opportunity to lose all their money, too. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, Bitcoins can be chopped up into smaller units, so it's not like someone has to buy an entire Bitcoin. Uh, however, I, I think it needs to be said that um, yeah, futures trading just started. Uh, th- on the back of that, I believe over the next couple of months, more derivative products will be uh, created uh, for Bitcoin. And I suspect some type of insurance product will be created to cover any kind of trading losses for Bitcoin. And I think those kinds of fixed income products can be uh, very dangerous for the market. Very profitable, but very dangerous. And I, I I definitely believe some bank or some clearinghouse will get into that business in 2018. But I think the worry for me is not there until that happens. Yeah, I also, if if I could just, Jim, ask our guest, um, some of the terminology that he and I are using may be foreign language to to a lot of people. Uh, It was uh, Swahili to me. Okay, well, I'll try and make it Russian. I'll try and make it Russian for you. Explain to Mr. Mozell here the uh, the uh, what you mean when you say derivatives. Uh, uh, so uh, there are layers of ownership, and uh, so a future is is uh, creating a contract uh, that kind of guarantees a future price for an underlying asset, a future price for Bitcoin, and from that uh, I suspect what I was mentioning then what. I think uh, markets are driven by what people want, and I think what people want is uh, they, they're all expecting uh, some kind of crash because they're all talking about bubbles. So uh, someone at some point will come out with some kind of insurance product that'll protect you against that kind of loss, and uh, that, uh, that can be bundled with other products uh, to improve its credit rating. So, for instance, if, if I sold you insurance protecting you against losses for Bitcoin, and uh, you, you you might say, uh, well, I don't I don't know if I could, I, I don't know if you're credit worthy. If you could if you could support millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in losses, and then uh, you might bundle that with uh, something more secure. Uh, you'd like it with a mortgage, for instance, and then you create this kind of derivative product that people can invest in. Where, where they can invest in uh, income because you're selling insurance and you get premiums for it every month. And then uh, you, you're just packaging that with uh, something more safe so, so that the, the rating that you get on it looks pretty good to you for, for your investment portfolio. But in fact, uh, when, when, if and when Bitcoin crashes, uh, you can structure out your losses the same way big banks did uh, in 2008. So, so I suspect uh, they're going to look back at that playbook in 2008 and try to repeat it this time. I think that one of the things is, that could happen here is that what we had in 2008 really started in 2000 and 2006, if not earlier. We had the expansion of the Community Lending Act, which uh, the Congress uh, required the uh, the two quasi-governmental entities, Fannie and Freddie, to issue mortgages to people who functionally couldn't pay the mortgage. And then they bundled those, using your word, they bundled those mortgages into securities, which were 
put in with other securities and other mortgages and sold them in the secondary market. And they leveraged it time and time again so that when the house of cards started to fall, it fell really hard because there were there were, there was leverage that created more and more houses to collapse. And so what happened is that the whole house of cards came tumbling down and all the quote insurance that was supposedly sold was so ever so over leveraged there wasn't any money left to pay off on the insurance. So um I I think that some people who who played that market were thinking that the insurance was like the kind of insurance that we buy for our houses or for our businesses, but it was investment insurance, which was something totally different. As you pointed out earlier in your conversation, there was virtually nothing behind a Bitcoin. There was nothing behind many of those derivative contracts. They were just simply leveraged many times over. And that's what caused the whole collapse. And if we get into a derivative market with Bitcoin, we're going to, we're likely to see the same kind of outcome, only the stakes are going to be much higher because there's a lot more money already invested in the unit cost structure of these products. Right, right, exactly. Um, you know, so with all the talk about bubbles uh, and Bitcoin, uh, there is a part of me that says this could get a lot bigger. And, uh, you know, like we might just be at the start of it, you know, and it, it's hard to know. Just because, uh, if unless you're working at a bank, you know, in, in uh, like uh, upper management, upper leadership, you know, you would know, like how much commitment uh, a bank would have or an institutional player would have in the Bitcoin market. However, the dynamics of Bitcoin as a product are changing. Originally, it was created as a kind of digital cash. You know, um, if we could make cash electronic and you could send it as easy as email, that was the whole point of Bitcoin. Now, um, now the talk around it is more digital gold store of value where um, you just buy it, you hold on to it, value goes up. So uh, that may change in the near future as well. What other products do you see coming besides Bitcoin? Uh, I, I think blockchain technology is particularly interesting. If you're familiar with smart contracts, I think it'll disrupt just about everything in the world in the next 10 years. Uh, so one of the things my team is building is uh, insurance products for the 70.1% of the world that has $10,000 in assets or less. Uh, the way smart contracts work, just a really quick primer, it's an if-then statement in software form. Uh, so if X happens, then Y will occur. So uh, the way we build insurance products for it uh, is uh, if, if drought hits, your region where you're a subsistence farmer, we automatically pay insurance. So you don't have to take pictures. We don't have to send out an, a, a, someone to look at it. There doesn't need to be uh, any kind of uh, claim made. You know, we, we just grab data off the Internet, and based on that data, we can make a payment. So that's instantaneous insurance payment, and I think that alone will change everything uh, in terms of uh, the way the insurance business is done. And then uh, in terms of banking, uh, there's a lot of decentralization. What we're working on, uh, my team primarily, is decentralizing humanitarian aid, meaning uh, for a long time you weren't sure how efficient charities were. So, you know, there could be a charity where 90 cents of every dollar goes to overhead. 
but with blockchain you can match a peer to another peer directly and then remove most of the fees so that they could fund people in need directly you know and cutting out the charity or the agency entirely so and that's coming that's coming over the next 10 years that's coming now um James, we 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 uh, we also have, I believe, IQ Alrazoli is with us. Uh, IQ, can you hear me, my friend? Of course, I can hear you. Now, listen, listening to all this, uh, do you have any questions for uh, for our guest today? This is way above my intelligence, <laughs> and I love to listen to both Dan and the gentleman. So please continue. I'm learning. okay well that's good we've got our guest with us today james song he joins us live here on our big program and uh thanks for joining us here on amfm247.com also tune in itunes radio loyalty and iheart radio and uh with us today is a bitcoin humanitarian tech expert james song he is the uh, founder and ceo of exocoin and um Don, uh, you're learning a heck of a lot today, just like IQ is. Uh, do, do, do you have any questions here for James? Oh, yeah, I always uh, do. Um, you know, um, uh, there's a whole lot of coverage of Bitcoin, and uh, it's, it's my understanding from my uh, friends in the news uh, industry, there's several stories uh uh, being uh, developed, one at Bloomberg and the other at the Wall Street Journal, about the uh, the the uh, uh, to quote one journalist, the tragedy of Bitcoin. Um, right now, everything is up, 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 but there are cases of down, down, down. Uh, and as Dan pointed out earlier, uh, uh, right now to really invest in Bitcoin, you 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 have to be in the fifty thousand dollar range. If I heard him correctly, and what uh, made Bitcoin ad- attractive uh, last year, and, uh, and I understood, was the fact that you could do it literally for pennies. And uh, uh, I guess my question is, uh, uh, how do you answer the, these potential cr- critics? Uh, for Bitcoin pricing being being out of control. Uh, Bitcoins are, you can chop it up into smaller uh, smaller pieces, and you can invest in these smaller pieces. I think it goes all the way down to a 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, if I'm not mistaken. That's what it, what's called Satoshi. So you, you can buy that, and that's, uh, I believe that's less than a dollar. And uh, you can invest in Bitcoin that way. And then, as a, on a percentage basis, if Bitcoin rises, say 20%, your Satoshi, the value of your Satoshi will rise 20%. But, you know, like your returns are based on, you know, how much you invest in. Uh, uh, I guess in terms of um, uh, investment returns, we're living in a world that doesn't make sense. Donald Trump is president. You know, people are talking. People don't trust the news anymore. People get most of their news on Facebook, whereas Facebook used to be what you looked at uh, your nephew's uh, baby photos on you know now now it's a news source so uh you know this is the world we live in you know digital currency that was created out of nothing can be is moving billions of dollars across the earth you just uh, said it it's currency created out of nothing the dollar was for many years backed by uh, the silver and and gold in the treasury it no longer is uh uh 
who uh, who's guaranteeing in this wor uh, electronic uh, world that uh, that l little bit of electronic uh, whatever you want to call it is worth anything? Uh, there's no guarantee for it, zero guarantee. However, people who use it do find utility in it. So maybe uh, a better way to think of it is prison currency. You know, when people go to prison, they, uh, they might exchange cigarettes for things or canned mackerel for things. And then it's just about what, not what you need. Like maybe you need a cold beer and that's what you want to trade a favor for. But uh, maybe I don't have a cold beer, but I could give you some substitute that could be used to be traded for anything else. And, uh, you know, and that is what Bitcoin is in our economy right now, or that is the perception for Bitcoin users. They're like, oh, we can trade Bitcoin for anything. If I wanted to get around high Bitcoin fees, I could exchange it into Litecoin, which has lower fees, and then we could exchange those into U.S. dollars. So it has that kind of sensibility to its users, and that's why it continues to have value to its users. Well, the other point is crooks are using that for, uh, for ransomware and for ransoms of all sorts. Um, uh, because in essence, I'm told that um, it's untraceable. Uh, to me, uh, uh, we're, we're venturing into a, a dangerous territory. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I guess I'm, I'm going to pass on it. And uh, if anybody asks me, I always say, uh, uh, better to put it underneath your mattress. But uh, then again, that's me. I, I'm, I, I'm just... Uh, 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 quite frankly, I'm I'm just uh, highly skeptical of the whole thing. Of course, um, I was skeptical. I used to think the world was flat, and I proved wrong. But uh, uh, I I just cannot believe that this whole uh, world is is in effect uh, um, uh, based on uh, uh, literally nothing. One of the earliest use cases for Bitcoin was to uh, was for Silk Road, where people dealt in uh, illegal contraband drugs and things like that, and things were bought and sold with Bitcoin. And then the U.S. government did have to work very hard to shut that down. So there is a degree of anonymity there. I think that's part of what people who use, like hardcore users of Bitcoin, that's part of what they like about it. That's true. Uh, it, it's 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 also true. In forty some years of investing, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> and this sounds too good to be true, so it probably is. There's going to be. I, I have to tell you, I watched the mortgage meltdown in two thousand and eight and nine. And in 2009, I watched little old ladies coming before congressional committees complaining at how they lost their savings because they were sold collateralized mortgage obligations by scrupulous brokers and salespeople. And what they didn't say, never said to the Congress well, you know, I was getting 1% on my money in a money market account or a CD, and this mortgage thing looked pretty good because I was going to get five or six, and I could live on that. 
so that people were were blaming the salespeople for selling them this highly speculative investment that they lost all their money on, but they never had any blame on themselves for looking at it and saying, this doesn't make sense. It isn't normal. And yet they tried to blame somebody else for their significant losses. I think the same thing is going to happen with the Bitcoin. At some point in time, when it decides to make its correction, which I think it will, then you have a situation where people are going to say, I didn't know. Nobody told me that I could lose all of it in a matter of 20 seconds. Um, and so there's going to be, again, the government's going to come in and, and put regulations, which will basically kill the market. And then they'll go on to the next con game. Uh, I'm 50-50 I'm on that. I want to agree, but I also want to disagree with what you just said. Right now, in a December 2017 world, the chatter in the cryptocurrency community is taking money off the table. So, for instance, Litecoin, just to give you an example, Litecoin rose 100%, a little bit over, like 109% in a day. That means if you put $100 into Litecoin, uh, sorry for the very simple example, just to clarify things. You put $100, by tomorrow it goes up to $200. Now they're telling you to take your cost basis off and put it back in your pocket. So you change out your $100, you put that back in your pocket, and you let the remaining $100 ride. And a lot of people are doing that right now. What the effects of that will be down the road, I have no idea. But there is a kind of mild sophistication being spread in the community where they're like, Take your money, you know, because everyone has made money right now and put it in your pocket and let it ride. That seems to be the sensibility that's spreading amongst the community. But that's not an unusual tactic because in inequities, if you get a runner, whether it's Google or whether it's uh, Amazon, Amazon or whatever it is, you get a runner where the value of the stock goes up more than 100%. It's always a good strategy to reduce your cost basis by taking money off the table and playing with house money. That's a good investment strategy. But these are not investments. This is pure speculation. As Don says, there is, and you said, there is nothing behind this. There is no guarantee. There are no hard assets. It's all electronic bits and bytes. That's all there is behind it. And I don't think that the people who are playing in this market understand the risk that they're taking. And they're going to be surprised at how quickly they can lose money and lose all of it in a matter of hours or days. And, um, and, and it's, it goes back to the greed situation I talked about before. There is an element of greed from, from, from some people around the world, not just the United States. And they don't understand the risk, but the story sounds really, really good. And I guess I should put my life savings in it and see what happens. And then they're gone. I mean, if you look at what happened from 1990 to 2008, it's a matter of 18 years. In 18 years, three principal assets were destroyed for the baby boomers retirement accounts. You had the dot-com bubble at the turn 19, 1990 to 1993, the 
dot-com bubble wiped out about 45% of the net worth of American investors. And then we went into the mortgage meltdown. <clears throat> that took another 45% away. And then we had the value of real estate declining. So three of the principal asset categories for most people's worth, net worth, were just assaulted in the 18 years from two, 1999 to, to 2008. And it's the reason why even today, many people cannot afford to retire. May I ask a question, please? Of course. It's a hypothetical one. Let's say 90% of the people who put money in, the money went 100%. <laughs> they withdrew initial investment. And they wait, waited. So what do we have? We have 10 people who, 10% who did not take their money out. How, the, how will they, how will this money be created to give profit to all of them after the initial investment has been taken? There's nothing left. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, the, I'm sorry. Did you want to answer that? Or, or, no, please, I, please. Okay, IQ. What what you're talking about is people people acting in a logical way. Correct. And I can tell you that if in all That's this your time, first mistake, Dan. Yeah. You're no, not, people my, to be not my mistake. Not my mistake. It's is that people. First of all, two things that I've learned. IQ. I I, I built the first global government mutual fund. Uh, in conjunction with Lombard ODA and C in Geneva, Switzerland, and Massachusetts Financial Services in Boston, first global sovereign debt fund, and I had the opportunity to do many trips to Geneva and London, talking with the portfolio managers, and I had a dinner one evening with the with the Mr. Lombard of Lombard ODA and C, old old Swiss bank, and I said to him, "What's the difference between Swiss?" investors and American investors. And he said, American investors invest with emotion. They make their buys and sell decisions not on fundamental analysis, but on emotion. And when you make decisions based on emotion, you're almost always going to be wrong because you're not using facts to make your decision. So I've been a long-term investor for, for many, many decades. I have stocks that I've held 15, 20 years and still own them. Uh, and, and I understand because I have clients who get a little nervous when like 2008 came in and I'd say to them, uh, cash we've been sitting on for a long time, we're going to buy. And they looked at me like, okay, well, I'll trust you, but I'm sure nervous about this. And it turned out exceptionally well. We don't make investment decisions based on research and fundamentals. We make investment decisions in America based on emotion. And as long as we continue to do that, we are going to be susceptible to Bitcoins. Okay. Does our guest agree or disagree? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bitcoin has been called a, a, a Ponzi scheme. Uh, I, I I believe it, it. You know, the the test of time will determine whether this is a, a logical, reasonable investment. 
and and what will happen again over time if it turns out to be a good investment the returns that you're seeing today will disappear and you will come back to the mean you'll come back to six seven percent return and the luster will bloom will go off the rose and people will be looking for some other piece of speculation to go to the market may still be there and and bitcoin will uh, may possibly be there but not offering anywhere near the returns that it's doing today I, I can agree with that. Uh, I think uh, just to, to give an alternative, a, a slightly alternative view, uh, it is possible in a December 2017 world to put a little bit of money into cryptocurrencies, uh, ones that are running on hype, and you can make your cost basis back in within a week. You could take that off the table and you can let the rest ride, and it is gambling. We're not talking about uh, we're not talking about investing right now. We're talking about gambling, but this is a marketplace where it's where gambling is interesting. Mm -hmm. And if uh, I I think if you can spare the money, like you have some money to burn, I think it's an interesting thing to do. I mean, hundred percent returns in a day in twenty four hours. I think mm -hmm. that's it's an interesting environment. Yeah, but the, the problem is that it's been my experience as somebody, uh, I'm a, I've always been believer in, in asset allocation and diversification, old boring stuff, but that's the way I manage money. And when you have somebody, when you see the kind of things that are happening with Bitcoin, you say to somebody, okay, you want to try it? Fine. We got a 5% rule, nothing more than 5% going into the portfolio. Right. And so, so they see it going up and they say, well, but Dan, could we put a little more in? No. Five percent. It's going to take a lot of self-control. I agree. Yes. Yes, and that's when you say it's gambling. It's it is gambling, and totally different dynamics when you gamble. Now, uh, now, James, uh, how does how does your cryptocurrency kind of differ from Bitcoin? Because I I especially uh, in in and actually in fact. Uh, one of our one of our photographers here at uh, KJAG Radio is uh, investing in in Bitcoin, and he's investing in a whole bunch of other cryptocurrencies. And he brought yours up uh, and as an example last weekend when I was chatting with him. Um, how does yours differ from some of the other uh, cryptocurrencies that's out there? And and why if people are nervous about Bitcoin? Why should they get in with, with, with your stuff? Uh, currencies within an ecosystem are interesting to me, uh, just the concept of it. So we deliver free basic education to refugees, and uh, we, from an economy point of view, we pay people to incentivize them to do well in their courses. So you, uh, if, if you've ever played video games, uh, inside video games, they have in-game currencies, like uh, you defeat this opponent, you win these coins. So uh, this education uh, ecosystem we've built kind of works the same way. You, you finish this module of courses, you might win a red token. And then you finish uh, this module of courses, you might win a blue token. And then this many, you have 10 red tokens, you could trade it for a blue token. You have 10 blue tokens, you could trade it for a green token. And then uh, you build up to getting Excel tokens, which could be traded for... 
fiat currency, you know, like U.S. dollars and things like that. And then uh, on the back of that, we also build micrometered work opportunities because you could do that on the blockchain. You could sell work in, say, 60 seconds or 90 second slots. And then uh, our currency works to pay for people doing that too. And then because you are issuing the tokens, you can track what people have achieved. And that makes it very easy. So, so we actually needed it because it solved a big problem. Like, how do you, how do you know this person actually knows calculus? You know, it's because they have this many tokens from scoring this high on this many exams. Uh, James, supposing I want to invest in your, uh, is it portfolio? Uh, just, we just sell tokens for our ecosystem. I mean, how does anybody invest with you? Uh, uh, we, the way the cryptocurrency community works right now is uh, there's something called a SAFT, which is a standard agreement for future tokens. And the, the weird thing about SAFT is there's no such thing as a standard agreement, but it was derived from the SAFE, which is a standard agreement for future equity, which is what a lot of technology startups use. So uh, we issue you a contract, you sign it, and then we issue you tokens, which can be spent or exchanged uh, in our ecosystem. And then uh, that's how people are investing in our project at the moment. Uh, you know, like we're registered with the uh, SEC, so you, you have to be an accredited investor and things like that. But, you know, uh, outside of that, that's the way cryptocurrency investment works at the moment. Thank you. Uh, IQ, a um, couple things that he just said that, that uh, need points of clarification. He, he used the term accredited investor. Now... Right. Normally, under the SEC rules, a credited investor is an investor who has a certain amount of net worth and is believed uh, through the documents that he has their customers sign, understands the risk that he or she is taking in this transaction. Um, and uh, I believe I'm correct on that. And I'm wondering... What is your, what do you say about risk in your disclosure statement? Very risky. You could lose it all. Absolutely. Um, we, we know that there are other teams running, uh, selling tokens and they try to structure it so they could get some kind of exemption, uh, through something called a utility token, meaning it, it's the same thing we do. You know, it's like, uh, we trade tokens in within our ecosystem. So it has no real security value so it shouldn't be labeled as a security but we don't want to play games with the sec so we just say you know what we're gonna we're gonna file with the sec we're gonna take the exemption and we're gonna make sure everyone who buys tokens from us in the united states you know are are accredited can your tokens be used to make payments uh what we use to make payments can your tokens we, can your tokens be used to yeah, make yeah. alternative yeah, cash so, payments? Yes. So uh, not only our team, but a lot of teams around the world are solving the problem of uh, cryptocurrency to fiat local currency through a debit card. So it, you spend it the same way you would uh, using a Visa or a Mastercard uh, in different jurisdictions in different countries. Uh, that means we have to register in different ways. So for the U.S., uh, for us to create a debit card, 
we probably have to register as a commodities to exchange in the future to make that happen. And then, like in other jurisdictions, they might uh, ask us to be a FX exchange, something like that. Yeah, um, there is. There is. You're raising a very important point. In and one of the complaints about the Bitcoin is that there is there are no standard regulations on a global basis. Every country can have or not have their own regulations, and uh, there's no consistency. Uh, between the regulations so that certain countries may in fact may be, may be more advantageous to establish uh, your structure and uh, since you're trading on the internet it's very difficult for foreign governments to to regulate uh, online trading through the internet uh, yeah definitely uh, we I definitely know that there's jurisdictional arbitrage going on so for instance United States, we regulate it. Bangladesh bans it totally. Uh, China, no ICOs. Uh, South Korea, very wary. They're looking at regulation. But a uh, place like uh, Philippines, no regulation at all. You could do whatever you want. Uh, Indonesia, too, no regulation at all. So, uh, you know, but uh, for us as a team, for me, philosophically, I, I could have saved a lot in taxes if we structured in Singapore, for instance. But, you know, like, uh, I think we could, if, if you have a good product, you know, if you have a straight-up team, you could win straight up in business just being an American company and dealing with, dealing with the legislation here just because the U.S. regulatory regime around securities leads, you know, across all of Earth, you know, it's, it's a leader. Mm-hmm. Do you do you find that uh, that because we are probably the most regulated market in the world, um, the less than honorable people avoid the U.S. market and will go to Singapore? Uh, you know what? I don't know if I could say that. I want to say it, but I don't know if I can admit to it. You know, Singapore, like the top tax rate is something like nineteen point six percent. So you save a lot of money just by incorporating in Singapore. So I understand why you would do that. Um, but, you know, from the way I feel about it, whatever the U.S. does, Singapore will follow. And uh, if Singapore follows, probably South Korea will follow. And these, these are the big global markets for, uh, for uh, cryptocurrency around the world. So why not be in the United States? Right. What is, how much do you have outstanding? Uh, we just started. So we just started raising. And uh, we just, uh, you know, I'm a business person. I, I'm just building product, you know, so we're building software all day. And that's really what I care about. I don't really, to be honest with you, if I could skip the whole fundraising thing and just uh, ask a third party to do it, I, I would. So are you, um, have you issued many coins or are you still raising the money under the concept of, of trying to um, sell the coins? Uh the way it works is we have a pre-sale. Uh, so uh, pre-sale is done with a SAFT agreement. And then during, and that is before the ICO. And the ICO is the initial coin offering. And that's when we issue all the coins. And that happens in February. And so will you have a secondary and a third and a fourth offering of coins? Or are you going to split them? How are you going to deal? Is it a finite number of coins that you're going to offer? Finite number of coins, yes. I don't think we'll ever do a secondary offering. Uh, I'm not going to say it's off the table, but you know, it's just it's not interesting to me. 
you know, I, I think what's interesting is, uh, you know, if we don't sell enough tokens, let's just keep building the software and let, let the business take care of itself, you know, uh, for, uh, for direct uh, donor to recipient donations. We don't take any part of that. But for if, if you want to hire a refugee to work for you or if uh, a refugee uh, wants to hire someone to work for them, we take a piece of that transaction uh, for the education content. We have a freemium model, meaning free basic education. But if you want to learn something specialized, uh, food safety certification for your restaurant, real estate licensing, uh, we, we do charge for that. So we think the business can sustain itself. We think we can make a lot of money. Can, Dan, can I jump in here? Sure. Um, uh, uh, the New York Times just ran a story. Uh, India, uh, Indiegogo uh, uh, helped start uh, uh, crowdfunding. It's launching a new company for initial coin offerings. The popular but unregulated practice of selling custom virtual currencies to raise money for software project. It's starting a new service on Tuesday. The vet coin offer, offering known as ICOs. That's another thing I never heard of. The first project to use a service, a startup known as the Fan-Controlled Football League, will begin raising $5 million on Indigo. Uh, the startup aims to use the money to create a league of football teams that will be guided by people who buy the league's coins. A crazy-sounding idea that has already been tested. Uh, you know, uh, but again, it's it's out of um, thin air. I, I, I'm 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 still I'm having difficulty reconciling uh, this. I, I mean, uh, are we going to see more and more of these ideas? Well, what's uh, going to happen? Go ahead. I'm please? sorry. No, no, please. I was just going to say, Badan, is that what you're seeing is. As this gentleman, he told us a moment ago, he's making one initial coin offering. One of the reasons why the Bitcoin is, is so explosive in price is there are only a limited number of them. And so if you have limited supply, then the demand is greater than supply. We know that that basic law of economics, greater demand than supply, the price has to go up. And so if you've got a, a, a large number of people trying to get more and more market share of the Bitcoin and there's only X number, that's why he's driving it. And so what's happening is what he's doing and what other, they're forming other Bitcoin issuers. So you're going to have a, potentially, you could have many, many, many different Bitcoins cast in different structures all over the world. And as you said, Don, none of it with anything behind it. Well, um, people are making money. I, I, I'm. Uh, this has been fascinating for me. Uh, I've kept quiet and listened. And uh, um, I think you're going to be very successful. I always go back to P.T. Barnum. No one ever went broke 